So this morning I was in uh, Ezekiel 18 in my time alone with God amongst other chapters, but uh, that one in particular really challenged me uh, this morning in thinking on uh, the fact that each one of us is responsible not for our circumstances, but our choices. As we uh, enter into the second week of this series, uh, we started with marriage last week. We're going to talk about family today, calling next Sunday, and government the, the, the last Sunday of September. I want to remind you that it's really easy to kind of point at what everyone else is doing and, and kind of make excuses because of everything that's going on around us. But to remember that God has called us to a holy life. If you look in your bulletin, I want to encourage you to continue to be praying every day for revival for our church family. This week we're praying specifically to ask God to reveal to believers the depth and the evil of their sin and call on the Holy Spirit to move them to confess and repent of their sin. Again, the Christian life is about growing in the grace and growing in Christ's likeness. And the Lord is working this sin out of us and we are to participate in his will and what he is doing. Making excuses for ourselves, uh, pointing to our family system that we were raised in or pointing to some other circumstance, uh, that's just not gonna hold water with God. He is calling us to, to trust in him, to walk in him. And no, we're not gonna do that perfectly. Today we're gonna talk about family and I'm just gonna tell you right now, it's gonna feel like you're drinking water out of a fire hose. It's going to come at you hard and fast, all right? Uh, be comforted that, that this is not the last of the messages like this one. Today, I'm going to give you just a taste of what we're going to experience next year. Next year, we're going to focus on impact of home, neighbor, and generations. And we're going to begin to look at how God is calling Living Hope to be a part of an awakening within our city. But today, I'm going to talk specifically about our responsibility as family understanding the environment in which the family is to function and, and what the outcomes are to look like. Uh, again, this is all of us. We are all to some extent in a family. You come from a family in some way, and you're still in a family to some way. If you are a Christian, you're a part of the family of God. Being a, in, a, in a family now, husband, wife, children, being in that extended family, it's not always easy. But again, this is a calling. This is, God made us to be in this. From the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 27, we read this. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And for what purpose? Look at this. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Have children. Populate the world. And fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God gave our forebears, gave Adam and Eve a responsibility. He placed them in a particular geographical location on the planet. It had one entrance in and out because we know after the fall that that, that entrance was governed by a single angel. But I want you to be mindful of what God's intent was. God's intent was that this man and woman were to produce offspring. And as they created this family, they were also to work, and we're going to talk more about this next week, the land, and they were to grow the garden so that God's paradise would cover the planet and there would be people made in God's image who would bring Him glory. After the fall, that command still stands. We as God's image bearers are responsible for this planet, for working it, for providing good, but also in producing, uh, producing children. Now, whenever you see a child, remember 
That child is made in the image of God. Remember that that child has a sin nature and with such will stand before God in judgment for their sin unless they have repented and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember that Jesus Christ came to shed his blood. Every time you see a child, remember that Jesus Christ died that that child might be redeemed. And remember this, every single child you look at is going to spend eternity somewhere. And we have a responsibility as a church family, and mom and dads have a particular responsibility to ensure that that child hear the gospel, be raised in the truth of God's word, to give that child the best opportunity to walk with God. Unfortunately, there is today, especially among young adults, and I want to encourage you uh, who are in high school, middle school, uh, young adults, um, to be mindful of the need for healthy marriage and then family but to be mindful of the need for bearing children. Why, why do I say that? Here's a statistic that bothers me I want to share with you. Among young adults, 43% placed a high value on having children in a recent poll. That's down 16 points from 1998. Used to be that a majority of young adults would put a high priority on having children. There is now a minority of young adults who place a high priority on having children. God, in his intention from the beginning, was that we would be married and that we would produce offspring. Now, understandably, some cannot do that biologically and, and therefore can pursue adoption. Some can do both biological and adoption. Some, some are in a position in life, some of you are now grandparents. Maybe you're in a stage in life, you're not a grandparent, but you're a part of our church family. You still have a responsibility to the next generation. Every single one of us who are members of Living Hope have a responsibility to the next generation. We are a family of disciples who make disciples. That's how we describe ourselves here at Living Hope. And so we, we say that because the importance of, of Psalm 78. Psalm 78 verses 6 and 7 says this, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. We read this every time we have a family dedication. And at that time, families not only dedicate themselves to raise their children in the knowledge of the gospel, we promise as a church family that we will help them. Everyone has a role in raising the children of this church family. We all have a place in God's work that he is doing in the world. Our society needs healthy families. I said this to you last week. The health of society is found in the health of families. We talked about last week that, that healthy families come from healthy marriages. I want to tell you today that healthy families are a product of a loving home environment. The series is called Divine Love because what is needed in our world today is God's love. What is needed is an answer biblically to the challenges that are coming at marriage, at family, at vocation, at government. And we as Christians who have been given responsibility for the truth of God's word, we are to be mindful of the culture in which we are raising our kids. Peter Drucker said this about culture and strategy. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. See, there's a lot of parents today, and, and some of you, and, and your heart is right, and what you want is you're saying, you're thinking to yourself, good, pastor's going to give me a strategy. He's going to give me some things that I can do, and this is going to fix everything. I am going to give you some things to do, but can I just tell you this? The culture that we live in is attacking hard. We need more than a strategy. 
We need to overcome with an environment that is unstoppable. You know what that is? It's an environment of love. Everything that we're gonna look at in the scriptures today must be produced, sought, and, and made a reality in the context of the love of God. Without the love of God being the environment with which we are raising our children, it's just gonna feel like rules to them. It's gonna just feel like a task to us. Friends, this is a privilege. And this privilege makes sense within the divine love of God. And what we're gonna see in our text today is what happens in those loving homes. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Colossians chapter three. Jillian's gonna come, let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Again, we're in Colossians chapter three. That is our book this year that we've been studying. Coming to, uh, almost to the, to the end here, I can't believe it. Um, we're gonna be done with this before too long, but today we're in verses 20 and 21. So Jillian, read that for us. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, amen? Good job, sweet girl. If you guys would, go ahead and be seated. Now, as we, as we start this, parents, let me say this. Um, you already know this, but I just wanna say this. Um, if, if you did everything right, if you did everything right, there is no guarantee that your children are gonna be healthy disciples of Jesus Christ. If you did everything perfect, it's no guarantee that the outcome is gonna be what you pray for. Listen, our Heavenly Father is the most perfect, wonderful Father that there ever was, and He had a few stinkers. David was a liar and a murderer and an adulterer. Abraham was a liar, Noah was a drunk. Our Heavenly Father has had trouble with children. We probably will too. So mom and dad, please understand, the task at hand is hard. And just because we want healthy disciples of Jesus Christ, and just because we're praying and pursuing it, listen, we can't determine the outcome. The child must choose. Boys and girls, I wanna say this to you. As I'm talking today, some of you may feel what is not God-honoring. To feel conviction or to feel challenged is good. That's what the Bible does. But let me tell you what you should not feel. You should not feel shame. You should not feel embarrassed because you're, you're not maybe doing everything that you ought to do. Be convicted, yes. Let the word of God speak to you today. But remember, when Jesus Christ saves us from our sin, he gives us a right standing with God. We have the rest of our life to grow in becoming the people that Jesus died for us to be. Remember the three circles now, remember. Sin has created brokenness, and we're to repent and believe in Jesus Christ in the gospel, and that enables us, that frees us to pursue and recover God's design. That doesn't mean that you're gonna be perfect. What it means is you're gonna be free to pursue God's will for your life so that you can enjoy God's blessing. So mom and dad know you're not gonna do this perfectly. Even if you did, there's no guarantee. What I can guarantee you, mom and dad, if you don't disciple your child, this world will. And this world and the devil and the flesh will conspire to destroy that life. You have a responsibility to disciple your child. Boys and girls, you have a responsibility to come under the, the authority of your parents and to do your very best to honor Jesus Christ. No one expects you to be perfect. We know your parents. We know you won't be perfect, okay? 
understand that. The kids are going, yeah, right. Mom and dad are like, hey, easy on that, right? Now, so let's get a realistic view. But now let's look at God's word. Let's see what exists in a loving home. Number one, in a loving home, children delight in their responsibility to obey their parents. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Again, boys and girls, there's only ever been one perfect child and his name was Jesus Christ. We don't know a lot about his life, but what we do know, we find in Luke chapter two. There was an event when Jesus was with his mom and dad. They were in Jerusalem and he was supposed to go back with them, but he didn't. He stayed back. They thought he was with another family and they were heading back to Nazareth. And that's once they realized that he wasn't with them, they went back and found him in Jerusalem and probably gave him a little bit of what for. And then look what Jesus' response was. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And, but look at this. Knowing what he was called to do as the son of God, look what he did. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. God the father had put Jesus under the authority of a mom and dad. Now in his mind, he knew that there were other things that he was compelled to do, but He respected his parents that God had placed him under. You didn't get to choose your mom and dad, and neither did they, and neither did me. None of us get to choose our parents. God does that. And God places us under their authority for a reason. So what are we supposed to do? Boys and girls, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to be like Jesus. How did Jesus grow up? Luke 2.52 is one of my favorite descriptions of of Jesus Christ and, and how he was raised. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature. He got smarter, he got stronger, and in favor with God and man. He pleased God and he pleased his mom and dad. Now he's the only one who was ever perfect. But boys and girls, this is a pursuit. You are to pursue to bring glory to your Father in heaven, to honor him by honoring your parents. And here's what you can know. It pleases the Lord when you do it. Second, in a loving home, in a loving home, uh, there are parents who embrace their responsibility to disciple their children. Boys and girls are looking to their parents. Mom and dad, they're looking to you to tell them who they're supposed to be, how they're supposed to live, what it is their life is to be about. And and to do that, I'm gonna give you some uh, categories in just a minute for you to process how to be doing this in an ongoing way. Right now, I want you to think um, just about the practical aspect of parenting. When you're thinking about parenting, you need to think defensively and offensively. You need to think defensively. What are the boundaries that I'm gonna provide for for my child? When our youngest was a baby, uh, I noticed early on that he was pretty athletic because we put him in a baby bed. We'd already bought him the next level bed, anticipating him growing and maturing. But at the age, maybe just over one, I heard him bouncing in his crib one night, bouncing, bouncing, and I looked and he had jumped up, stomach on the crib, grabbed the railing, did a front flip, and landed on his feet. (laughs) Now, as a dad, I was pretty proud of that. But then as a parent, I became concerned because I thought, if he can escape this, he can escape other things. And I thought, I've got to fix this. It's the middle of the night. I got this baby bed, and I will never forget him standing there. He had his blanket and his passy, and he was just sucking that passy. 
and he's watching me build this, this, this new contraption that I think is going to keep him in his crib. And I could look in his eyes and I could tell what he was thinking. And he was thinking is, I can get out of this. <laughs> so that night, that night, I, the crib was gone. I had the mattress, we just put it on the floor and just thought, he'll make do. You know what, he's in a king size bed now. It's almost as big as me, I can still take him. But I had to create boundaries for the boy. I had to anticipate him growing into each stage. Mom and dad, you gotta do that. You gotta think, what does the child need in this stage? And what do I need to anticipate the next stage being? Again, as, as he grew, uh, you know, uh, there was a, a certain room he would be in. And <laughs> so what I like to do during the season, football season, of course, I want to watch the game, but there were times when I was also responsible to watch him. And so what I had to do was I had to get other pieces of furniture, couches, coffee tables, and I had to close off the living room because I wanted to watch the game and I wanted him to live. And so I had to deal with both of those. But you know what, there came a time as he got older, he could go upstairs. He had access to the whole house. He could actually go out in the yard and, and there was okay. Right now he's allowed to go down the street. One of these days, probably, I'm gonna give him the keys to a car. And he's gonna come and he's gonna drive in our city. He may go to the ends of the world. The day he gets keys, I will announce it on social media to alert you to the danger that is yours, all right? But what am I doing? I'm setting boundaries. Boys and girls, listen. Your parents are going to set boundaries for you. You may not like them, you may not agree with them. That's fine. Guess what, it's not your call. What they're going to do, wise parents are going to, they're going to give you as much freedom as you have the maturity to handle. So mom and dad, you need to be thinking about, will I allow my child to date? What friends will I allow my child to have? What places will I allow my child to go? What access will I allow them to information, whether it be on a phone or, or with maybe uh, t other kinds of technologies? What will be the curfew? What will be the, the types of social gatherings I'll allow the child to go to? Boys and girls, most of the time, this is gonna hinge on your maturity. So if you show the maturity of a five-year-old, your parents are gonna be compelled to treat you like a five-year-old. If you can show the maturity and the responsibility over time, not once, over time, then that gives you more freedom. Now, parents, defensively, you gotta be thinking about what are the parameters they need right now, what's probably their next step, and where will they need to get in maturity to take that next step. That's part of the defensive strategy. Now, offensive strategy. Parents, you need to be thinking about what what expectations should you have for each individual child? Every child is different. You need to look at your child, and I would, there's so many categories I'd give you. Let me give you three categories this morning. First, academically. Every child can't be in advanced classes. Every child can't take AP. Every child can't make straight A's. Every child has a strength. If your child's strength is not academics, beating them over the head with that is not loving. You need to understand what their capacity is and encourage them in that. Academically, socially. There are some children that are extroverts and you have to bring them in. There are some kids that are introverts. You gotta push them out. But what you can't do is make them be what you want them to be. God gave them that personality. Let them be. 
Quit trying to live out your childhood through them and quit trying to keep them away from what it is God has made them to do. So as they are functioning socially with their personality, yes, you've got to have defenses, but you've also got to encourage them. And trying to make an introvert into an extrovert is not loving. And trying to withhold an extrovert from a personality that God gave them is not loving. You gotta think academically, you gotta think socially, and and then you gotta think about activity-wise. You know, parents have a tendency to assume that a child is gonna do what you like to do. And, and, and listen, they, they have an interest. You need to find out what it is, and your children are different. Just because one likes something doesn't mean they're all gonna like it. You gotta find out what it is. I remember when our daughter was just a little girl, we found out some of her friends were gonna take ballet, so we got her some little ballet slippers, and we went to the ballet lesson, and she looked miserable. And it wasn't just because I didn't want to be there either. It was really, she wasn't enjoying it. So we went to it one more time and we asked, you know, are you, and you could just tell. And so we went and we traded in those ballet slippers for cleats because that's the only practical thing to do. (laughs) Now we started off with softball and that was a no-go. And then having been here for a little while, we realized that there was an emphasis here in Bowling Green for what, what, what can be commonly and maybe rightfully known as a European trash sport, soccer. <laughs> I don't like, I didn't know much about soccer, but you know what? I put her on a little boy's team and she did just fine. We spent the next 14 years learning about soccer. They, they said there was offsides. I never heard a snap call. It took a couple of years to get that one. But listen, you know what? I found out what she was interested in and you know what I did? I got interested in it. You know what that showed her? I love her. I care about her. I'm not just trying to make her fit into a mold that I want her in. I understood her personality. I understood her academic ability. I understood her interest. And you know what we did? We created a plan that would lead to her development. And you got to do that with every single one of your children so that they can obey you well. In the environment of love, you've got to set the defenses and you've got to set the offensive. Lastly, as as it pertains to our text, before I get to some practical steps in a loving home, fathers accept their responsibility to encourage their children. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Look what it says, lest they become discouraged. We must do the opposite. We must encourage The activity of a father is critical to the health of a child. I've got a ton of statistics. I want to share four of them with you. I'm going to post all of them later. 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 90% of homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropout come from fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. And the stats go on and on and on. Listen, we are filled with a church family of fathers. This needs to be a place, single mom, this needs to be a place, mom and dad, where paternal voices are speaking into your child's life. I I cannot tell you the men that I owe such a debt to for speaking as fathers into my children's lives. I have a responsibility as your pastor. I will speak in a paternal and a fatherly way. Many of you need to be serving in children's ministry. We need our children's classes filled with fatherly voices. 
We need men who can speak truth into these children's lives. It's not just what happens in the home. It's what happens in God's house. And God's house is to be this place where we come alongside and we strengthen. The church is the Home Depot of family discipleship, all right? Parents, you can do it. We can help. Mom and dad, you're the primary faith trainer of your child. The church is going to come along and help. Now, we're going to come along and help in three distinct ways. And we're going to talk more about this in the, in the upcoming days. If you would, look in your bulletin real quick. There's an insert there. It's blue. Parents, these are the trainings that we are offering uh, you'll notice that most of them are milestones. When we talk about family discipleship, we're talking about three different categories. We're talking about time, moments, and milestones. So you'll notice the training there in your bulletin. I think it has to do mostly with milestones, but there is a general course in family discipleship. We need all you need as parents to take this course. Now we're going to offer it again in March. We're going to offer this two or three times a year, not just the fundamental courses, but we're going to begin to offer more courses on specific issues. Some of the things I've already mentioned today, and you need to be watching for those and you need to be participating in those. Now, when it comes to time, moment, and milestones, take note in your bulletin, and then I'm going to give you some suggestions. Okay. I'm let me give you some suggestions for each one. Let's talk about time. What do we mean by time? Time. This is when parents build the priority of intentional time into the rhythm of their family life for the focused purpose of thinking about, talking about, and living out the gospel. Let me give you a few things that you need to consider doing. Some of these things are biblical mandates. They are not suggestions or ideas. They are mandates. Uh, here is a suggestion that I would make to you. Let your week begin on Saturday night. On Saturday night, get ready for the first day of the week, Sunday morning. Get ready by, first of all, laying out your clothes for Sunday morning. Don't get yourself in a panic or an argument over clothing. Do that Saturday night while the game's still on, okay? Then turn everything off, take a few minutes and pray. The, the prayer focus uh, that, that we put out every week that you need to be praying through as a family every day will tell you what I'm preaching on the next Sunday. That following morning, you need, to, you need to talk about the text. At least read it and say, Pastor Jason is going to, one of our pastors is going to be preaching on this text. Let's ask God's blessing as we get ready to gather. Now, as you come to church in the morning, be prepared. It's funny, uh, the Heffinger sent a, a message to me a little while ago, said, to let Pastor Jason know we're on our way, but the car didn't want to come. So they had a car breakdown this morning. You're gonna have stuff happen, all right? Create a little margin of time to, to switch cars or be able to call friends to, to aggravate their morning to come and help you out if that, that's what's needed. But listen, I know it's so hard. I know you get up early for work and you're thinking Sundays, we just wanna take it easy. This is the Lord's day. You need to come prepared. And, and what, what you need to do to prepare yourself starts on Saturday night. Sunday morning, use the drive-in. On the way in, there is nothing wrong with complete silence. Can I get an amen? Christian music. Now is not the time to argue about what's going to happen in school next week. That's not the time. 
Use the drive-in to get your hearts and mind focused on what you're about to do. Mom and dad, get here early enough that you can talk to other people. And if your children are small, require them to stand there and listen to you so they can learn how to talk to adults. When they do talk to adults, make sure they look them in the eye and speak so that they can be heard. Begin to teach your children. It's a part of gathering for worship. All right, when we're here for worship, boys and girls beginning in kindergarten need to be in worship. Now, seventh and eighth grade on, they may wanna sit with their friends, that's fine. Just make sure over lunch or dinner, everyone heard the same sermon. You might ask what the text was. You might ask, now again, I don't share all the same stories at every service, so benefit of the doubt there, but there would be absolutely nothing wrong at all with requiring your child to show you their notes from the sermon. Or as one child did several years ago, uh, had come here for college, stood up in the balcony during this hour and pointed the phone and took a picture of me as proof to his parents that he was in church that morning. Now our security almost shot him, but (laughs) just as a note, don't point anything at Pastor Jason during the services, all right? It's a good way to lose your head. Yes. Worship is crucial. This is a non-negotiable. Matthew, I'm sorry, um, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 commands worship. And, And I understand, you know, if you don't want little ones, that's why we have a nursery, we get that. But beginning in kindergarten, I wanna, I, Your child needs to hear the preaching of the word. They need to learn to be in church. The last thing you want to do is to send your child away into adulthood and ask them if they're going to church and have them say, I never went to church. I just went to a class. I just went to youth group. I'd never, I've never been to church. Train your children to be in church. Listen, if they cry and they pitch fit, we'll give you at least a minute to get them in the hallway before we judge you harshly. <laughs> you know, after a while, I mean, yeah, we're going we're gonna to smile at you. But, you know, listen, we want children in here. It's going to be noisy. It's going to happen. That's part of living hope. Deal with it. All right couple more, do devotions together every day. Every day. Listen, some, our family is in a singing family. We don't sing when we do, we, but we do study God's word. We do pray. Uh, right now, Asher and I are, are memorizing 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 11. And I will tell you, it's humiliating to me because he's smarter than me and he's memorizing it at a faster rate than me. But I'll tell you this right now, he can't preach it like me but he can recall it better than me. Discussions, what are you reading in the word? What did you hear God's word say? What are you praying for? How do we need to be praying? Pray together. All of these things, these are intentional. This doesn't happen because I'm in a good mood. It doesn't happen because it was a good accident. It was intentional. It was sat down. It was thought through. It was decided. It gets done. Mom and dad, that's your job. All right, let's talk about quickly, moments. Moments are things you don't plan. They are uh, parents capturing or leveraging opportunities in the course of everyday life for the purpose of engaging in gospel-centered conversations. It's when things come up. This week was September the 11th, and there was a, there was a time there to have a conversation. Some of the newspapers wanted to say that uh, airplanes had attacked the buildings. That's a lie. People with a specific worldview attacked our country. That needs to be a conversation you have with your child. There, there are right now opportunities to talk about why socialism and communism are not 
are not the same as Christianity. As a matter of fact, they are not conducive to human thriving. Great opportunities right now for those conversations. You need to be talking about what's on and, and happening in, in, in the world. You, you gotta talk about the misuse of power by government leaders, uh, by, by things that go wrong, things that go good. When, 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 when police officers do great things, when they struggle with hard things, when, when they make mistakes, all of these things, you gotta talk about it. Talk about why you don't watch certain things on television. Talk about why there's certain music you don't listen to. Talk about the sunset. Talk about friends and their decisions and things that are happening in their families. All the time, using these as opportunities to speak truth into your child's life. Last, milestones. Milestones are the big deal moments. Through intentional planning and thoughtful uh, commemoration, such as celebrations, uh, conversations, and rites of passage, parents make and mark significant spiritual milestones of God's work in the life of a child. So these are things like family dedication, baptism, church membership, graduation. There are actually nine. These are the ones that I'm most familiar with because these are the ones that I participate in on a regular basis. And so October 20th, we have family dedication. You need to talk about with your children why this is. Uh, Baptism, when your child is ready to make public profession of their faith, you need to talk about why this is, what this means. When other people are baptized, you need to talk about why and what it is. Uh, Children, you need to join this church. And mom and dad, you need to help them with this. We expect young people to join the church and go through, mem- tell them we'll call them back. I know I'm going long. It's the age of 16. At the age of 16, mom and dad, make a note. They need to go through membership class at 16. Here's why. We want them for two years while they're in their home church to learn how to be members of the church so that when they go away to college or go into the workforce, they've learned how to vote, how to go to church meetings, how to have dialogue with an elder, and to take responsibility for the health of a family. 16, and then of course, graduation ceremony, 18. Uh, We want to see our kids thrive. And we have a responsibility as a church family to be a family of disciples who make disciples. Mom and dad, you are the primary faith trainers of your child. We're going to help you. Church, we must be godly men and women. We must be those who pray for them, who model for them the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of it must be done in love. There is no place for hatefulness here. There is no place for judgmentalism here. There is no place for name calling and and, and finger pointing and looking down on other people. There is no place for that. If you wanna go beat up somebody, come see me. I'll be glad to talk with you. We're not gonna have that in this congregation. This is a place where God is honored. This is a place where children are loved. This is a place where there can be conversations about human thriving. Now, are we gonna do it perfect? No. If you're looking for a perfect church because you're a perfect Christian, leave now. Because you'll lie about other things and we don't need any more liars here, right? No, friends, listen. Everybody in here is struggling with something. Every family in here is struggling with something. We all have our battles. Don't judge other people for their battle. You don't know the depth of sorrow and hardship they're facing. Pray, pray for one another. Love, love one another. Serve, 
Serve one another. Encourage. Encourage one another. This is the will of God. This is the way of God. This is life as a church family. Amen? Amen. Amen. So friends, let's pray. Let's pray for God to do that. Come and pray at the altar with your family. Come and and ask for God's provision for our church to be revived. Come and ask for God to do miracles. Let's stand together as we pray now. Lord God, we love you. We thank you so much for the privilege to be a part of this church family, a family of disciples making disciples. And Lord, there's none of us in here that, that does it perfect. Jesus, you're the only perfect one. We're so grateful for your grace, and we're so grateful for your Bible that shows us how to live. Lord, there is no place for judgmental people. There is no place for name-calling. There is no place for looking down on anyone. We all have challenges, and you are you're such a gracious God to love us through, to help us and strengthen us. Lord, hear our prayers now as leaders come to pray for revival that's in the bulletin as families come to pray, as friends come to pray, as we come to ask you to make us genuinely a family of disciples who make disciples. As we sing together, come and pray. Let's ask God's blessing on this church.